God in heaven, we pray that you would speak to us now through your word. Lord, we want to make space in our minds and in our hearts for your Holy Spirit to speak to us. Uh, Give us good ears today to hear what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we continue in um, this series on uncommon unity. Uncommon unity is one of four key characteristics that we believe that God has made us to be as a community. And we're spending our time talking through those uh, this, uh, this fall. And so our, our statement about who we are as a church of uncommon unity is this. And I'd like for you to read it again with me. We are a diverse community brought together by our shared experience of the love of Jesus, our King, by expressing our spiritual gifts and by welcoming each person as a unique bearer of God's image. The scriptures teach that the unity in the church, any bit of uncommon unity that we experience here at Broadway Christian Church is rooted in the life of the Trinity. It's rooted in the life of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who made us, who sustains us, and who is transforming us and calling us to be this kind of community. And so the purpose of these first few sermons was to show some of the ways that we experience unity together through sharing in God's own life. And the unity that God has in God's own self as Father, Son, and Spirit, we are invited to share in that same unity. We are children of the Father. This is our identity as children. And because we are each children of the Father, that means that we are a part of one family, brothers and sisters, with everyone who calls God Father. We're also called together under our allegiance to Jesus, the Son, who is our King. And last week, Pastor Sims walked us through Jesus' teaching on John 15, where he tells us that all of us are the branches united together with Jesus, the vine. And this week, we're going to focus on the work of the Holy Spirit. I would encourage you to turn, first of all, to Ephesians chapter 4, the passage that Beth just read for us. I just want to to tell you that if you are interested in your own devotional life to dive more deeply into this idea of the church and unity, uh, just study Ephesians for the next couple months. It It is the letter of Paul that most speaks about the unity that we have as a church. It's Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I'll read the first few verses again. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I want to begin by talking for a moment about this, I, this word, keep. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Paul does not say that we as the church are called to create the unity or manufacture the unity or put together a five-point plan for us to be a church of unity. He says that we are called to keep, to maintain the unity of the spirit that already exists. Our unity as a church already exists. God has already accomplished it. 
Earlier in Ephesians, Paul tells us that you and I are already seated together with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Already. That's a reality right now. And we are called right now to live faithfully to that. Paul tells us in another place that we are members of one body, that each one of us have been joined together in Christ, are different parts of one body. The Holy Spirit has joined us together, brought us together, and has made us part of one body. And so our calling here in Ephesians is to keep this unity, to live in a way that reflects this truth that's already true about us. And so this morning we're going to talk about a few ways that we maintain that we keep the unity of the Spirit. So in your bulletins today, there are three points in this sermon today. I never do this, but they all start with the same letter, and they all kind of rhyme. I don't do that very often, but you got it today. There's three things that we do to maintain or to keep the unity of the Spirit. First is that we groan. Second is that we go low. And the third is that we grow. Grown, go low, and grow. These are all verbs, all action words. But at the same time, all three of these ideas, all three of these verbs are actually, they're passive. They're actions of surrender. They're actions where we actually raise our hands in the air and ask God to do his work in us and among us, rather than us trying to grasp and do the work ourselves. Groan, go low, and grow. These are actions that actually empty us of ourselves and our own need to be right, our own insistence of getting our way, and instead surrender ourselves to God's spirit so that he can have space to do the work that he wants to do in us and among us. Uncommon unity is not something that we can create, make, plan, or manufacture, but we can maintain it. We can keep it by opening up space in our lives and in our relationships for the spirit to work. We can maintain it by getting out of the way. We can maintain it by surrendering rather than grasping and trying to make it happen. So let's begin today near the very beginning of the Bible. In the third page of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, we are told the story of human sin. Adam and Eve sinned. They were disobedient to the word of God, and the consequence of that sin was a great rupture, a great breaking, a great tearing. God made human beings in Genesis 1 and 2 to be with him, to be unified with him. God made Adam and Eve to be together, to be unified together. God made us to live at peace with our own hearts, to be at peace with our own selves. What was, and what was intended by God to be together, unified together, was broken when Adam and Eve sinned. There was a ripping apart of what God intended to be together. In that story, we see immediately that Adam and Eve were ashamed. They hid from God. They hid from one another. They were meant to enjoy fellowship and unity with God, but immediately they hide from him. They were meant to enjoy fellowship and unity with one another, but immediately they realized that they were naked, and now they were ashamed of that nakedness, where before they felt no shame. 
And as the story goes on in Genesis, we just read rupture after rupture after rupture, division after division after division, breaking after breaking after breaking. Adam and Eve are separated from the paradise of Eden, required to leave the garden. In the very next story, their sons were separated in their relationship from one another as Cain becomes jealous of Abel and murders him. That great first breaking, that great first rupture sent a ripple of brokenness into the world that we continue to experience everywhere in every part of our lives. Division, disunity, hatred, rage. We see the impacts of this great rupture in our lives everywhere we go. We feel it in our communities and in our neighborhoods. We feel it in our nation. We feel it in our families and in our relationships. We know and feel it in our own hearts, the way that our own hearts are even divided. What was meant to be together is torn apart. There was this great rupture that introduced all of the brokenness and division and pain in our lives. And in Romans chapter 8, that Beth just read for us, we read the ways that the Spirit is at work right now, bringing healing to these broken and ripped apart places. So turn now to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to begin a few verses before what Beth read for us a moment ago. Romans 8, 13 through 17. I just want you to listen here about the work of the Holy Spirit bringing together what has been broken. Paul writes this in verse 13. If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if, this, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our own spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory." These verses tell us that that relationship between us and God has been healed through the work of the Spirit. The Spirit is at work joining us together with the Father so that we can know that we are His children. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate peacemaker. The Spirit is always at work bringing healing in those relationships that have been broken. The broken relationships between you and God, the broken relationships between you and other people, and even that broken relationship with you in your own heart. God is at, the Spirit is at work bringing those things together. And if you know Jesus, you have tasted that unity that exists, that relationship where we're able to know in our hearts that we are one with the Father, that we are children of the Father, that relationship that already exists in the heavenly places, we have a taste of it. But in the next verse, in verse 18, Paul shifts gears and begins to talk about suffering. We have this experience of unity that we taste, but we still suffer. There's still something missing, still something groaning in us. In verses 18 through 27 that we just heard read is one of the densest and richest passages of Scripture that help us to understand our place right now in between Jesus' first coming 
and his second coming. And how the Holy Spirit is at work right now in this in-between time where we have experienced salvation, but we're waiting for it to all come to manifestation, to all come and for God to bring all of his purposes um, in the end. And what we're told in these verses is that right now, in this time, all of creation, the birds and the bees and the oceans and the tectonic plates under our feet and the climate and the weather and the atoms and the quarks and the governments and the presidents and our own lives and families, all of that is under what Paul says, frustration. It's all subject to frustration. In the King James Version, it says that creation was made subject to vanity, to vanity. Another translation says that it's made subject to emptiness or meaninglessness. I just gave you the hint of the next thing, where I'm going here. So if you remember about four years ago or so, we preached through Ecclesiastes. And when I read in the King James Version that this says that, we, that creation was subject to vanity, it reminded me of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, where it begins in the King James Version that vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. NIV says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And the Hebrew word for that is hevel. The Hebrew word for that, vanity or meaninglessness or emptiness or frustration, is hevel. Creation is groaning from this hevel, from this meaninglessness, from this frustration that right now we are not yet completely free from our divisions. We are not yet completely free from the effects of our sin. And because of that, there is a lot of groaning. Did you hear that in Romans chapter 8? There is a lot of groaning. The response to the vanity, to the meaninglessness, to the frustration, to the hevel of this world is groaning. Paul tells us that creation groans. He tells us that we who have the Holy Spirit, that we groan. And also in this beautiful, this beautiful and wonderful truth that we need to hold on to today is that the Spirit groans too. That God himself, when he sees and observes the meaninglessness, the vanity, the frustration of our lives and of our world, that God groans with us. It's interesting to me the way that Paul phrases this here. He says that we, he's talking about suffering and the suffering that we experience in this heaven-filled life. And he says that we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, and I think I expect him to say that we will have joy even in the midst of this suffering. Or that we will have power to overcome the suffering. It will be encouraged in our suffering. But what he says is that we who are in this heaven-filled world, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that what we do because of that is that we groan. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan. Why? I think it's because we know what God's plan is for the end. And we've tasted God's salvation and the unity that he wants for us. We've experienced a foretaste of God's plan. And we know in our experience 
We know in our relationship how far away we are from what God wants for us. And because of that, we groan. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit have tasted God's plan for unity. And so when we experience division and disunity, we groan. Back in 2020 and 2021, when all of us were going through so much disruption and division, when all of us, uh, Katie and, and I and, and our family and, and our church, all of us included, were going through so much uh, relational tension and strife. There were times in, um, Katie and I had a practice. And every once in a while in our bedroom, one of us would be heard doing this. Uh, and then the other one would join in with the other. Uh, come on. Uh, like when we had this tension in our stomach because of the hurt we were experiencing or the hurt that we knew that we were causing or the betrayal that we were experiencing or the tension that we were experiencing, it just felt like all we could do was, uh, we groaned because our experience was so frustrating. We knew our experience of loss and hurt and the broken relationships that were happening was not the way it was supposed to be. It felt like vanity, like meaningless, like frustration. It felt like hevel. And so we groaned because we knew that's not the way it was supposed to be. But friends, it's in that groaning, in that space that allows the Spirit to come and to do the Spirit's work. Listen to what verse 26 and 27 say. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. The Spirit knows the hevel of our world better than we do. And the Spirit enters into the heaven with us and groans with us with words that we don't have because all we can do is groan. So groaning, not ignoring the division and disunity and frustration of our world and the disunity in our relationships is one of the ways that we allow the Holy Spirit to move in. It's one of the ways that we create space for the Spirit to come in and begin, begin to do the work in our hearts and in our relationships and in our community. Do you see how actively passive groaning is? Groaning is like the ultimate verb without effect. <laughs> like it's just a groan. It's a nothing. But it's in that powerless act that God says that the Spirit comes in and begins to groan with us and begins to pray and to intercede for us. 
praying to the Father for exactly what we need. After we groan, we can also go low. We can meet one another in low and humble places. We can learn to go low, to be humble with one another, to meet other people where they are and not where we wish they would be or where we think that they should be. In the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is always drawn to humility. The psalm says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. In Philippians, we're called in humility to consider others better than ourselves. In Proverbs 3, verse 4, it says that God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. And that proverb, I didn't know this until this week, is quoted in both Peter's letter and James' letter. That Paul, that God, opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. When we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in the church, we, we do often talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we will talk about those in a few weeks. We talk about the ways that all of us have been given diverse gifts so that we can come and offer good things so that the body of Christ may be built up. They are the way that we come to the community in our strength and in our ability that God has given to us. We can come to the community in strength to offer blessing to the community. But those gifts, those strengths that we've been given by the Spirit must be used in humility and with a desire to serve other people. Or those gifts that we have will become a curse rather than the blessing that they're meant to be. Our strengths, our gifts can be a blessing to the community or they can be a curse to our community. And we've seen often in churches where there is a gifted leader who's given authority and responsibility, but they do not have the character and the humility to handle that authority and responsibility and the disruption and hurt and pain that that causes that community. The gifts that the Spirit gives us must also be accompanied with humility that comes from that same Spirit. So if we're going to experience unity in the church, we have to go low. Here's a quote from Andrew Murray. Here is the path to the higher life. Down. Lower down. Just as water always seeks and fills the lowest place, so the moment God finds men abased and empty, his glory and power flow, flow in to exalt and to bless. If we're going to experience unity together, we have to go low together. The Spirit, like water, moves to the lower and lower and lower and lower and lowest of places. And that's where we meet together in unity. Our son Abe is almost eight years old. He'll be eight next Sunday. And there's really nothing that he likes to do more with dad than wrestle. Hey, dad, let's wrestle. Here's the question. When I wrestle with Abe, do I use all of my strength? Okay, that that would look real mean. I don't. I don't. I promise. I do not use all of my strength. Do I just, when he comes toward me, do I just like push him down real hard? No. I get down low on my knees and I use just enough strength for it to be fun for both of us. Just enough force for him to be able to feel the resistance and to let him push me over every once in a while and to tackle me every once in a while. 
Abe and I have fun wrestling. And if you will allow me for the sake of our illustration, we experience unity in wrestling. Only because I, the stronger one of the two, am willing to go low. To empty myself of my strength to meet him where he is for the sake of our relationship together. That's the only way wrestling works between the two of us in any way that's fun for both of us and that bring us together. The Holy Spirit is always moving lower and lower. Like water, the Spirit moves lower to the places where two people can then meet together in humility. There is nothing, nothing that will destroy the unity of our church more than pride. Pride is what made the devil the devil. It's what brought disunity into God's world. The great rupture was caused by pride. It is the greatest and most devastating sin of all. And so if we want uncommon unity, we have to be willing to go low, to be humble, to meet people right where they are and not where we think that they should be or want them to be. When we go low, when we empty ourselves of our strength, of our need to be right, of our need to get our own way, we have to empty ourselves of all of that so that we may leave room for the Holy Spirit to work. Our pride, our need to be right, our insistence on getting our way pushes the Spirit out. But when we go low, enter into our relationships, in our conversations, in our disagreements, with one another in humility, there becomes all sorts of space for the Holy Spirit to do work that we could never really imagine. Groan and go low. These are both verbs that actually look more like this than like this. It's a surrender rather than a grasping. And when we allow space for the Spirit as we groan and as we go low, We allow opportunity for the fruit of the Spirit to grow in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 6. If you know it, you can say it with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit. When we leave room and space for the Spirit in our own lives and in our community, in our relationships, it gives Him the opportunity to grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul contrasts the fruit of the Spirit with what he calls the works of the flesh. Before listing the fruit of the Spirit, he lists examples of the the works of the flesh. I'll just read them for you here. The works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Works of the flesh are things that we do. Fruit of the Spirit is qualities that the Spirit grows in us. We actually cannot try harder to do work to grow the fruit of the Spirit in us. They are done in us when we allow space for the Spirit to work. And the Spirit is at work in us as we allow Him to, 
develop all of these, these characteristics in us. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And he's developing all of these in each one of us. It's not like Alex gets joy and I get peace and Betty gets patience or Katie gets self-control. He's developing all of these in us. And as we read these qualities of the fruit of the Spirit, it's clear that it's, it's these kinds of people, people who have these sorts of qualities that make uncommon unity possible. If we want to be a church of uncommon unity, and it's only going to happen if we step back, surrender, and allow the Spirit to work among us. So what I want you to do right now is just to take a couple minutes of silence, to just listen back on the things that you've heard today about groaning or going low, and just ask the Lord to show you which of these two or both could be something that you offer to him as a way to live, to allow the spirit to have space in your life to work. God in heaven, we thank you that you are at work in us. Thank thank you that you are at work among us. That even if, maybe even especially if all we can do is groan, that you are moving in to groan right along with us. Lord, I pray that you would teach us to go low, that you would give us the spirit and mind of Christ, who, even though he was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing and took on the very nature of a servant. Lord, give us his mind, that in humility we would consider others better than ourselves. Lord, we cannot do this on our own. We need your help. We need you by your spirit to grow love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in us so that we can be the church of uncommon unity that you have made us to be and are shaping us to be. So we ask for your help in the name of Jesus and in the power of the spirit you have given to us. Amen.